The enemy's greatest weapon is used against identity. And there's a thing going on right now about identity in society where a lot of people, let me, I'm, I'm gonna make, I wanna make this as kind and compassionate as possible because I don't want this to be, you know, let's, you know, let's beat down people. But they, they struggle with who they think they are, whether how they identify as male or female, I mean, just, I mean, the list is, is long and wide. But really, if you look at even for believers, that we, everybody in this room, everybody probably watching, has had a time in your life where you struggled with your identity as a believer, as a person, as, a, as what your purpose was in life, the direction you were going, and who I am, where am I going, what does God have for me, that you can struggle with who you identify with. And let me also say this as well, is in our society with the absence of fathers, and I'm glad that this church has lots of strong fathers and involved fathers in, in the house of God and in the, in the lives of their families, but that's not the case in our culture that many young people, specifically young men, well, not just young people in general, are growing up without the influence of a father and the, what do you call it, the direction, the spiritual direction, just the cultural direction, the change in life directions of a father. And what happens is their identity can get warped, it can get miscued, it can have deficits in it without that involvement of a father the good news is that our society is really strong on moms. <laughs> good. We have moms that stick with the game. But unfortunately, we have a lot of fathers that just bail out easily and readily. Once again, I like that our church is not that typical. We have good men involved in the lives of the church and the lives of their family. But can we agree that people's identities have been miscued because there's been a deficit or an absence in their life? Uh one of the father's greatest messages to us to us is that he made us there's something about knowing that you've been created by god and the way that i can parallel it did you ever play a sport or ever play uh, or in a production at school or whatever and and uh, you saw your dad out there. You saw your dad in the audience. You saw him in the stands. I remember a time that I was uh, in eighth grade, and um, I was doing a play that I, uh, that I performed in, and then that same night was the choir banquet and the other side of And I remember my dad being there for that, and there's pictures of me and my dad when, uh, on that specific night. And so that, the remembrance of that, even though mom's been all around, all the time, the, the memory and the remembrance of my dad being involved meant something to me. And the father is the same way that he has made us in a certain way. The enemy's greatest fear is that one of, for one of those who has found their identity in who they are in Christ Jesus. Next, no, not next week, next week's first Wednesday. In two weeks, we're gonna talk about that identity that's in specifically Christ Jesus. So I want you to bring your Bibles there. Here's one of our scriptures, not our foundation, because I'm gonna be changing a little by the week. But then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, full stop. 
that should answer many questions when it comes to societal norms. Are you listening? I'm I'm trying not to be offensive tonight, and that is not my game plan. But the word of God is very specific here in Jeremiah that God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I don't know about you, but that settles a lot for me. It settles a whole lot for me that just becomes without question. But that's not what I'm going for tonight. But think about it for you, that God is saying to you, before I formed you, I knew you. And he goes on to tell Jeremiah, he said, and I approved of you. Talk about just a secure identity that comes from God. And I'm pausing a little bit. Hopefully, if you've got your Bibles, turn to these and let's, let's highlight them and circle. Number one, I formed you. What's my identity that God formed me? What's the other one that he approves of me? As my chosen instrument and before you were born, I separated you and I set you apart that every person that's a believer can stand on this truth that we have been set apart for God's use, that God has, has chosen us. Now, how many of you in here were not like me? You were like me. You were not athletic at all. Not at all. So here's what happened is when, they would, when we'd have games and you would pick teams, I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I'm working through this with my therapist, but I was always, I'm just kidding. I was always picked last or close to last. Now you have to understand my brothers were the kinds that were always picked first, but I was never picked first. I was one toward the end. And you know, sometimes it was one of those things where two were left and it was an easy decision. You go on that team, you go on that team. And if you were like me, you're just grateful to be on any team. (laughs) But God says right here, I chose you. I picked you out. When teams were being divided up and God said, I get to choose, he went to you first and said, I pick you. Um, I separated you, set you apart, consecrated you, and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. All of heaven has heard the declaration of how precious you are in the eyes of the Father. And let me make this plain, that even though on this earth, even though in this world, we may struggle with identity, and we may struggle with who we think they are, but make no mistake that the heavens know your worth that the heavens know your value, that God has made it crystal clear how much you, you mean to him, that there is no doubt that exists in the heavenly that you are greatly prized in the eyes of the Father. And I like that thought that the angels know that the angelic host knows that if they said, uh, and I'm just saying, they said, God, who is your favorite? And without hesitation, without any pause, he says, Hannah's my favorite. And you can just insert your name. I'm just picking Hannah, but without pause. And here's the, here's the wild question is that they don't even need to ask. They already know God has made it crystal clear that he's picked you out. They don't have to take a survey. Who do you think God's favorite is? Who do you think? And I'm just using Hannah, but they don't have to ask. They know Hannah's his favorite. And it's true for all of us that they directly go, that the, the, the Psalms say, what is man that you're mindful of him? or the son of man that you visit him. They know how valuable 
valuable you are, that his voice has spoken already into every moment of your life. As Jeremiah declared that God said, I have spoken into every single part of your life. So when it comes to my identity, I'm jumping ahead a little bit right here, but when it comes to my identity, I can be rest assured and secure that God has already spoken into every moment of our lives. Our lives have been redeemed by the most precious price that has ever been paid when it comes to our identity and our worth, that our identity has been found in the value of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood who laid down his life for us. And that price brought us to a place of complete acceptance into the family of God himself. Do you know that right now, as you sit in this room, as you're watching, that there is no debate in heaven on who you are. And they don't even, they don't even say those are your redeemed ones. No, they know that you've been made a son and a daughter. Here's a wild part. All of heaven already knows that you are royal. That you are royal in the eyes of the Father and they don't question the father. They don't ask him, you know, are you sure that you meant to make Jonathan? No, 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 no. They already know. Let's go to Isaiah 43.1. Let's turn. I'm going to turn. I said I wasn't, but I got my Bible right here. Isaiah. If you're at the Psalms, go to the right. If you're at Jeremiah, I think go to the left. <laughs> yeah. Isaiah 43. So let's, can we commit to bring our Bibles with us? And like I said, I'll, 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 um, I'll bring, make the coffee and bring the highlighters. How about that? I mean, what else do you need? So verse one, it says, but now in spite of past judgments of Israel's sins, let's stop real quick right there, that God is saying that what I'm about to say has nothing to do with what we've done wrong. Now, is God a God of justice and holiness? Absolutely. But his declaration over our identity because of Jesus has nothing to do with past sins. I don't want to go too deep into that, but just, just believe me that that's, that's, scripture, that's a sound doctrine. Thus says the Lord, who created you? Once again, affirmation that we have been created by God, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, ransomed you by paying a price instead of leaving you captives. There right there is the proof, the pre-incarnate Jesus proof that we've been redeemed by the Holy Lamb of Israel. I have called you by your name. Before I do that last phrase right there, I have called you by your name. How many of you, when you were kids, you played outside and you knew it was time? Kids don't play out. Do they play outside anymore? I, well, we played outside and we knew that when the street light came on, you better, you better go home. <laughs> and if you didn't go home and the street light came on, then you probably heard mama's voice. And she didn't stand out there. She's trying to get my attention. She didn't stand out there and holler, Fernando, <laughs> Fernando, get in here. No, that little Mexican voice came chiming through. Jonathan, <laughs> called by name and tone. But here's the cool part, is that 
He called us by our name from his very voice. That before, like we said, but the scriptures, before we were even formed, before we even were created, that he called us by name. And then the last statement of that verse says, you are mine. We've, we've, um, we're always living at odds with an orphan spirit. Now here's what the spirit of an orphan does. Now think about somebody who is an orphan. Now in our system, you might think they would be in the foster system and maybe so, but let's think about in these terms that they would be in an orphanage. And what's an orphanage like? An orphanage is where there's a bunch of kids who have no parents, no one to call them their own. Now, maybe someday they'll get adopted or find a forever family. We believe that's possible, and we've certainly seen that happen. And I even, one of my chiropractors just adopted two, uh, two uh, young, young girls from uh, Africa. They went and visited them, and they're going to go get them in July. But think about an orphanage. An orphanage is a place where you don't have anybody that you really think loves you, that, that is your parent, and, and that's what we struggle with identity, with our identity is we struggle in that place of that we think that we're without parents. We think we're without a father. And that's not what we've been called to. We've not been called to an orphan spirit. That spirit tries to tell you that you have little value. Have you ever had a time in your life where you thought, do I really have value? Do I really matter to somebody? Do I, do I really, am I that important? Would it, be, would it be significant if I were not here anymore? And you know, the things that, that come in our lives that say those things that God says, you're not an orphan. You don't have an orphan spirit. You have great, great value that I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name, your mind, but we've been redeemed by the spirit of the father that gladly calls us not redeemed, not forgiven, not mercy shed upon, calls us sons and daughters. What's your identity, Jonathan? I'm a son. What's your identity, Hannah? She's a daughter. Her identity is involved in who she belongs to and who called her. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. So we're going to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians. So if you're in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go to the right. If you're in Acts or Romans, keep going to the right. If you hit the epistles, which is Galatians, Ephesians, go back to the left. So 1 Corinthians. Y'all remember that summer that I made y'all memorize the books of the Bible? I, I, I told you, no, there it is. Somebody stole Corinthians out of my Bible. Come here, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body, physical body, is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, you are not your own. Now, before I read verse 20, and then I believe I'm going to read it to you in, in the Passion, is that you are not your own. If you say that to some people today, that when it comes to how we believe as, as Christians, as believers, that you are not your own, they will find that offensive. They will find it, well, who, 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 I belong to me, I'm self-made, I'm in my own right, I'm in my own ways, I have created the, the success or the path that I'm on, but that is not biblical. 
That is, that is not, so many people would be offended by the, the scripture saying, you are not your own. And I've heard some preachers declare that you are not your own, that you ought to live holy. You ought to live, and that's not wrong in saying that, but we missed the connotation and the context of the word of God saying, you are not your own. You have to go to the next verse. Why are we not our own? Because you were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness and a paid for, made his own. God does not say to us, you are not your own because he's trying to take away our individuality or our autonomy or our uh, will. That's not why he's not saying that you're, he's saying you're not your own because my son paid the price. My precious son paid the price for you. He bought your identity. He brought your identity afresh and anew. Let's keep reading right there. So then, honor God and bring uh, glory to him in your body. So let's read it in the, in the Passion. Have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness who lives in you? That's a, good, that's a whole other series right there. You don't, um, you don't belong to yourself any longer for the gift of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside your sanctuary the next verse, that you are God's expensive purchase. Whoo! If you don't have a, a passion, go on Amazon this week or whatever and spend about $25 to get a hardback passion. That, it's worth its payment right there. That, that, that verse says that you were God's expensive purchase. Talk about identity. Now, that doesn't give us a reason. The Bible says that we don't have it for a reason to boast. But when it comes, who are you? I'm an expensive purchase. I've been, I've been purchased with, 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 uh, with, a, with the most precious thing that ever is. I, I, I like cars. I like fast cars. I like expensive, fast cars. And what would happen if... Uh, if uh, I had a garage, and in the garage, I had um, a Porsche 911 Targa top. I always like Targa tops. Porsche 911 Targa top sitting there, Carrera, right there. But next to it, I had a, a 1972 Ford Pinto. Some of y'all even, don't even know what I'm talking about. And every day I went out to that garage and I got in that Pinto that didn't start more times than not and tried to drive around life in this Ford Pinto and, and cussed that car and made me angry. And everybody said, why are you always so mad at that Pinto? And I, because it never works, it never, but don't you have a Porsche? No, but I gotta, I gotta drive this Pinto. I'm not worthy of driving that Porsche. But both are both in your car, in your garage. They're both your cars. No, 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 no. Now that, are you kidding me? If you're like me and Gerald, we like fast cars. Pinto, <laughs> roll that thing off a cliff. <laughs> we're going to drive, we're going to drive that Porsche and drive it like it was made to be driven. And God has given us identity. 
that is that precious, that valuable, that secure, that honest, that, that wonderful, that we don't have to go around thinking less of ourselves in some false humility, but he's given us a precious redemption that calls us sons and daughters, paid for by the uh, tears of blood. So by all means, then use your body to bring glory to God. The enemy fell from his position in heaven because of pride. Now here's what happens, and let me deal culturally for just a, a second, that it really culturally has come to a place where we label things pride in a way to give them value, in a way to give them significance, a way to express how we feel or whatever. And I like what Keith Moore says, there is no pride, no room for pride in the heart and life of a believer. No pride. God resists the pride, proudful. He resists those who are pride. So the enemy, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about his position, but his number one sin was pride. And that pride came from that I don't need God. I don't need an identity with him. I don't need any significance with him. I, he, he said, I'm going to ascend above him. So the enemy's initial uh, place of failure was pride. And pride is the same spirit. Pride is the same uh, spirit that wars with identity. That many times when we are struggling with identity, and then if you go out into the, to the big context of culture, that they struggle with identity is they're really not struggling with who they are. They're struggling with a sense of pride. That they don't need anything else than what is contained in them. And, and let me make this plain. We are desperately lost without who he is. Pride gives us this false sense of security in what we think we've made of ourselves. And it really is a, um, a sad way to look at life, but the reality is we all are guilty of pride where we think that we can handle our lives or we can place our lives or we can direct our lives without the need of God's help, and that's all founded in pride. God likes places where you say, God, I'm not going to make it to the end of the week if you're not with me. Let's just make it plain. I'm not gonna make it till the end of the day if this heart is not surrendered to you. The spirit, the life of the spirit yields to the purchase price of Jesus for our redemption. And let me wrap this thought up with this really quickly here, is that pride not only has no place in the, in the, in the heart of the believer, but a yielded spirit is what God looks for. A spirit that is faithful to him. Now, of all the crazy things that happen in our society, I think this one is still, what do you call it? Um, still frowned upon, thank the Lord, but an unfaithful spouse. What would any of us with any kind of sense or reason think about, well, I'm married to so-and-so, but they're not faithful to me. They, they are with other people or they have their affection with other people. Are you still married? Yeah, we're still married, but they, they are with, and most people would say, oh, you don't put up with that. 
You don't, you don't let that continue in, in your marriage, in your relationship, or whatever. And, and the same thing is true when we walk with the things of God, is that we keep our heart faithful to him, that we don't let those prideful moments come in and rob us of our identity and then get us to a place where we think that I can do this on, on my own. But just like an unfaithful spouse, we return to the love of the Father and commit to all that he has. When I yield to redemption, my life takes on the power of living, my uh, takes on the power living and working in me that there is something working on the inside of me that's an identity that, let me make it this, say it this way, cannot be, it cannot be shaken. It can be tested. It can be sometimes where you are um, dealing with, with who am, who, who of God, maybe I am, but that yielded spirit, that spirit that comes boldly to God and says, God, I need you. I need you to heal my identity. Heal my desires, heal my heart, set my motivations in the right direction. And I commit that to you, that yielded spirit takes on the identity of the Father. Let's go to Colossians. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, um, go to the right and you can keep those together. Those Pauline epistles, the three of them are Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And Ryan always helps me with this when he says, Gentiles eat pork chops. Gentiles, Galatians, eat Ephesians. Pork chops be, <laughs> it's a crazy way of word. Colossians 3. Watch this. For as far as this world is concerned, thank you for whoever changed that for me, you have died. In two weeks, we're going to talk more about that. And your new real life, stop right there. You don't have to respond physically, but is anybody looking for a real life? A new real life? We all are. Your new real life, I lost my place right there, is hidden with Christ in God. The passion says, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the, the, the tie to this life and now your true life is hidden away in Christ. Here's the reality. Every heart is searching for real life. Every heart. That hardest, stoniest, most rebellious heart is still searching for the life of God. They may not realize it, they may not be sensitive to it. They may not even yield to it. But they're all searching for real identity. Every heart longs to feel the acceptance and love that comes from the heart of the Father. Every heart. Every heart. So there's two things here. One, aren't you glad you yielded to the heart of God for your life? Aren't you glad that you're not perfect? You don't have it all together. But at the same time, aren't you glad that you're like, God, I had sense enough to, to reach out to you and ask you into my life. But then the other part comes as well. I commit. Like that faithful spouse, I commit everything I am. My future, my now, my past, I commit it all to you. Knowing that my identity is secure and sound in you.